Bibles. I am reading out of the English uh, ESV, English Standard Version. I think the Pew Bible might be an NIV, so the language might be a little different. But I think you will get the gist as we go along. Proverbs chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep this discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of shoal. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now listen, O sons, listen to me. And do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house. Lest you give your honor to others, and your years to merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to their instruction. I am now at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. The father says, drink water from your own sister." flowing water from your own well? Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone, and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed, and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer and a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always with her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman? Embrace the bosom bosom of an adulteress. Let's pray. Father, we thank you like always that your word is constantly instructing us and that your Holy Spirit is never ever for a moment outside of lines with the word of God. The Holy Spirit does not run ahead of the word of God, nor does the Holy Spirit follow the word of God. He walks side by side in full strength with the word of God. Bring the two and weigh down upon our hearts, God, truth that set men free, God. Teach us, I pray that everyone here today understands that you have called men and women to the bond of holy matrimony, to be intoxicated with each other's love, Father God. So much so, Father God, this great gift of sexual intimacy between husbands and wives, Father God, that it It's a bond, it's a glue that holds us together, Father God. Thank you for the gift, Father God. Teach us to rejoice, rejoice in our spouses, Father God. God, I thank you for your word that teaches us what proper sexual intimacy really is. How it is designed by you to glorify you and strengthen people created in your image. God, we thank you for the word of God today. Let it be strengthening and encouraging to our hearts. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, as we go through Proverbs, uh, we started in 6, we went to 7, and now I'm back in 5. 
we've been speaking about sex and culture. That's what we spoke about last week. We spoke about it to, oh, John, Pastor John spoke last week. But for two weeks in a row, I spoke out of chapter 6 and 7, speaking on sex and the culture and so on and so forth. And, uh, and, and we find out from the scriptures that it's, it's not pleasant. We look in the world today and we can all say that something has gone crazy with sex. The world is crazy for sex. It worships sex. Uh, it doesn't know what to do with it, really. It's just, it's, it's, anything goes at any time with anybody for any reason. Uh, it's the promise, the false promise of this is what you need in life. I remember at a time when, uh, probably in my earlier 20s, probably back in the late 70s, early 80s, I remember uh, the weightlifting magazines of the day was something called powerlifting and uh, bodybuilding. Those are the two. And if you read it from cover to cover, that's all they spoke about. It was powerlifting and bodybuilding. And then a new men's magazine came out. It was called uh, uh, Men's Fitness or Men's Health. And it was quite good. It was quite interesting. It had a lot of great articles, a lot of great details, nutrition. Very good. And as the years went on, it started to change its flavor. And you couldn't pick up the cover without it telling you how to have, how to have great sex. Uh, a matter of fact, you can't go to Reader's Digest anymore and find out how not to have great sex ten different ways by certain uh, professionals. Everywhere you go now, it's in our face and so on and so forth. And, 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 and Christians need to be very careful of this because if we're not being taught by the Word of God, and this is the charge I laid to parents the last several weeks, then they're going to learn it from the culture. The culture is going to teach us what to do. The culture is going to say what's right and what's not right. And Christian pastors are going to say, don't do it anymore. And, you know, and, and to sort of throw a guilt trip on, uh, on Christians. And that doesn't work. That doesn't work. The Word of God has something beautiful and magnificent to say about sexual intimacy. Those who are pure in heart and hear the Word of God and love the Lord Jesus Christ, hear it for what it is. It's magnificent. It's poetry in motion. It is uplifting. It is encouraging. It is cleansing. It is powerful to the marriage. Tonight I want to look at God's design for the gift of sexuality. Like I said, the joy, the beauty, the privilege, the power, the responsibility. Now take that word out. The hope, the fulfillment, the excitement, the anticipation. It's good. Worship of God. Very specific kind of unique worship. And I like teaching on this. I've often had because I'm not ashamed. I love the Lord. I love my wife. Uh, I don't like what the world has done with sexual intimacy. I don't like that pastors don't talk about it. I'm going to be quite honest with you. I love you. And I mean this with all my heart. I love everybody in this room. And it's my job to teach the truth. And maybe it's awkward. But I'd rather hear it now so we don't have to have the phone call and say, I need to speak to you, Pastor. My life is a mess. Ruined in the midst of the congregation. I heard the word week in and week out, and I, I'm ruined. Sexual desire is a gift. Sexual affection is a gift. Lust is sin's way of perverting it. Lust is desire gone mad. 
desire without knowledge. It's desire without boundaries. It's desire without concern of any consequences. Lust and self go hand in hand. And let me explain something to you. That sex is not about sex. Did you know that? You'll never hear that on uh, men's health. Sex is about marriage. You're going to learn a couple of things about what the Bible says about sex today. And marriage is not just about marriage. It is about God, two men, two, two men. <laughs> Satan would like that. <laughs> a man and a woman creating the image of God, bearing the image of God of, of, of uh, unity and diversity, coming together and glorifying uh, God. Marriage is a covenant. It's a commitment between a husband and a wife. It's the mystery of two personalities becoming one personality. Again, two personalities, a man and a woman becoming one. I must say from the beginning now that this is the ideal the scriptures hold out to us. I'll deal with everything we have made of it later on. I will preach the ideal. But it is a covenant. And somehow this covenant between a man and a woman reflect the glory of God. Sexual intimacy is a language in its own. And it conveys certain feelings. Certain desires. Just as words and sentences and body language and eye contact convey information. So does sexual intimacy. It conveys a special kind of desire, love, and joy, excitement, anticipation between a husband and a wife. At the same time, it comes with a special and unique experience. The Bible calls it two shall become one. They, they knew each other. They, they come to sexual intimacy. It's a bonding. It's sort of like, and it's not the same for everybody. Let me explain something. A husbands and wives, it's, it's not like, you know, yet, let me be as prudent but as clear as I possibly can with my words, okay? Each couple should enjoy one another in a unique way. Me and my wife enjoy each other in a unique, sexual, intimate way that I could not enjoy it with anybody else. She's my gift from God. I just can't say, you know something, 30 years of marriage, I'm going to change the channel. You know, the grass might be greener on the other side, it's going to roll over here, and I'm sure it's a little greener on the other side. No, it won't work. It wasn't meant to work. This was meant to work, period. What God has brought together, let no man asunder. Separate. It's not about a buffet. $10 all you can eat, just continue. But that's what the world makes it. Please, let me, I'll be forthright. I lived under that for a season of my life. It was enough. I thank God for Jesus Christ. Enough is enough. 
I never want to go to the buffet table again. <laughs> Listen, we don't serve sex. Sex serves the marriage. Period. The world serves sex. The world and the culture we live in is a slave to sex. It's money, it's time, it's energy is spent on it to fulfill its desires. But little do they know the desires are never fulfilled. But you don't hear about the pain and the suffering on television. Today, if you get a sexually transmitted disease, uh, you can take this pill. And, and, and it's like, are you missing something here? Let's get to why there's a disease. Now, but that's what the world does. That's all the world can do with the consequences of sin. Jesus says that man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made for man. The temple is made for us. Sex was made for marriage. For intimacy, for closeness, for bonding. It's a glue that holds marriage together where trust and fidelity get deep and deep and deep. There was a time 2,000 years ago in the time of Christ or 3,000 years ago when our text was written when a man got married. Listen, listen very carefully. And this is for both men and women. I should explain myself. This is about rejoicing your spouse, all right? They would live their entire life and never ever see another naked woman. Live your entire life and never see a naked man but your husband or your wife. That is gone. By the time someone might be 6, 8, 10, or 12 years old, that has been devastating. Devastating. Sex is just part of the marriage relationship. That's all. It's not the end and end all. It's just part of a goal of two people loving one another and loving their God. It's a major part. It's a major role. The promise of children is a deep blessing from the Lord. It might be the most blessed part. The gift of procreation. The world we live in treats procreation as not the sacred thing that it was. Or it is, I should say. It treats it like a lesser thing. You start treating sex, have a low view of sex, you'll have a low view of conception, you'll have a low view of a child in the womb, you'll have a low view of children, you'll have a low view of home, you have a low view of society, you have a low view of family, you have a low view of husband, of a wife, you have a low view of God. You can't get away. You cannot have a high view of God and a low view of sex. You cannot. No matter how many words you say, in practice, your theory will break down. <clears throat> Sexual intimacy helps build the marriage, fidelity, trust. This is a glue that's a forever glue. It means that this is it. This is, I gave you the best of me. You know something, you've seen something of me, no one ever will. That's the ideal of the text. There's something about the chemistry that me and my wife have. It stays there. It goes no further. It is sacred. So it is with every other husband and wife. It's sacred. Sacred ground. 
It's part of the relationship of growing together romantically, of having children, of sharing our feelings, our hopes, our dreams, sharing our disappointments and the pains of life. All that goes to build a relationship. So does sexual intimacy. Raising children, helping people, praying together, growing spiritually together, serving God together. This all involves becoming one. This is true companionship. And sex, sexual intimacy is part of it. Sex has its place in solidify, as a solidifying element between a husband and a wife. It's truly heart to heart. You know, sex, uh, now I won't even talk about sexual intimacy. That, that was sexual intimacy, but the culture doesn't talk about sexual intimacy. They talk about sex, separate from intimacy, separate from God, separate from sacredness. It's not safe. No matter how much you practice safe sex. If God's not it, it ain't safe. I'm telling you right now. If God is not the center of your life, there is no such thing as safe sex. At the end of the day, it leads to fear, misery, discomfort, and pain. Sex without these qualifications that I just said, these biblical qualifications, become just uh, self-serving and never live up to the divine design. It actually becomes destructive. And let me... Teach you something here. Out of all the years of being a Christian and counseling couples, there's only a few times I've seen people caught, generally caught, and woo one another, love one another, are growing, and and, and and staying pure, and not touching, and and they won't even kiss. They'll barely hold hands, and if they do, it's in with in a public place with other believers and other people around, so the passions don't take over. And, and I see that's a beautiful thing to watch. It's beautiful. I've seen situations like this where there was no sexual intimacy and it didn't work out. And guess what? They weren't devastated. They were disappointed, but they were able to move on to another healthy relationship. But the ones and the many that I've seen that have crossed the boundaries and had the sexual intimacy before the trust and fidelity and the character was developed, it is painful. It is downright destructive to the soul of the man and the woman. You'll never hear that on television. You go to a church for 30 years and never hear what I just said. Something happens that's a mystery in sexual intercourse. The Apostle Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, a familiar text. If you lay or lie with a prostitute, you become one with the prostitute. He doesn't try to explain it. The damage is there. He who sins sexually sins against his own body. He has to go on and say, do you not know that you have joined with the Lord? You are one with Christ now? Don't join yourself to a home. Proverbs chapters 5 to 7 overall are just one long admonition against the adulteress, the foreign woman, uh, and her seductions. 
It's a, it's a how-to against sexual temptation and as we in, in illicit sex. As we shared last week and the week before, uh, it's a personification of all illicit sexual activity. This is not about the bad woman. It's a personification of just sexual uh, uh, deviance outside of marriage. And uh, it, it's important for us to know that, but chapters 5, 6, and 7 really are a how-to it's not dealing with sexual sin. It's dealing with sexual temptation. If you have breath in your lungs, you know what I'm talking about. Even if you have very, very old lungs, you remember what I'm talking about. We should be able to laugh. Christians should be able to hear a teaching like this, and we should laugh. We should we should say, praise God. Even if you're struggling, even if you don't know the full extent of it, you should say, praise God, I'm finally hearing something beautiful and magnificent of what sex is all about. It's not cheap. God created. And within these five chapters, the, first, the verses we're going to be speaking about tonight we find uh, uh, God's ordained, God's ordination of sexual relations. He has ordained it. He has decreed it. He has blessed it. He has said, go now and multiply. He didn't tell them how blissful it actually is. Having children is nice. Conception is a beautiful thing. Sexual intercourse with the the promise of maybe conceiving a child is special, especially if you're desiring children. And, and you're young and you want to have a family and sexual intercourse is it's magnificent when it holds out the promise of raising a family. Before we move on into the four or five verses I'm going to speak about tonight, there's three things we need to know about. The Bible says a lot about sex. But it does it within three contexts. Don't forget this. It's either a part of the marriage bond with all its blessings. The Bible talks about that. The Bible speaks about it as sin outside of marriage with all its consequences. Or it's a spiritual metaphor for our relationship with God. We, it either teaches us that we are a faithful spouse to God or we're an unfaithful adulteress to God spiritually. It's in those three contexts that if you read about sexuality in the Bible, it falls into one of those three. Sex is never covered as a topic in itself. It never just speaks about sex. It speaks about marriage. And sex. Never just about sex. We have eight chapters called the Song of Solomon that is explicit in detail of uh, sexual expression. With all its explicit sexual language, there is this growing anticipation of sexual fulfillment. It's all done with a clear eye on the marriage bed. 
read the Song of Solomon with that in mind. You'll see a young man and a young woman burning with holy passion for one another. They desire one another. Their bodies are inflamed biologically, sexually for one another. The language is poetic, graphic, and beautiful. It catches the imagination. It catches the moment. But we are told clearly, do not awaken love before this time. There's a proper way of dealing with it. And the whole thing is moving towards marriage. Swung a song. Everything's moving towards the marriage. It's beautiful. Magnificent. No songwriter, no poet has ever put majesty, sexual intimacy, nor will anyone ever come close. No matter how the poets of this world try to make it sound good and desirable, they can never do justice to it the way the Word of God does. Praise God for His work. Let's read the verses. Let's go to verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer and a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always with her love. Son, why should you be intoxicated with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? That is not familiar language to 21st century Brooklynites, is it? <laughs> but within that four or five verses we just read is beauty, 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 it's God's answer. It's God's design. And we should preach it loud. We should teach it clear. We should desire it. We should pray for it. We should praise God for it. We should thank God for it. We should long for it. And by God's grace, we should wait for it. And do not awaken love before it's time. As we have seen before in our last two teachings out of chapter 6 and 7, there's a parental exhortation and a deep concern for the sexual well-being of the future of the child. The Bible teaches that sexual purity is a main ingredient for a successful life. And now the father turns his intentions from the lewd sexual temptations of the culture that are surrounding his son to the God-given gift of marriage and the proper use of his sexual affections. He directs them, and in so doing, he elevates marriage at the same time. These verses are using metaphors that are kind of awkward for us if we really don't understand the culture, but they're metaphors that were very familiar with the ancient world. To me, you would read that and say, what? But 3,000 years ago, in the time of Christ, they would have said, oh, I know what that means. That's the Bible's way 
of politely but beautifully portraying sexual intimacy between a husband and wife. It's magnificent. This is what the Father is saying. I chose not to break down verse by verse and try to do a word study and, 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 and break down. I, I want to get behind what the Father is saying to the Son. What God is telling all of us. Here's my paraphrase. Son, your wife is a fresh well of living water that will always satisfy your thirst for sexual love and sexual fulfillment. Her love will never leave you empty, shameful, or disgraceful. Never remorseful, as the man in verse 12 and 13, who hated instruction on sexual behavior, and at the end, he said, I have ruined my life. I have ruined my reputation. I have ruined my conscience. On the contrary, son, instead of wasting your sexual affection on others in the streets, where there is no hope of a future healthy relationship or the beauty of past warm and fond memories, but just selfish self-satisfaction with no God-given purpose that ends as soon as it begins, there's no worship of God there, son. There's no hope of a family, son, that you can watch God bless and grow as you grow old, son. No, son, don't be wasteful with this precious gift from God that unites your soul to your wife in a unique way. But rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice, son, in the wife of your youth. Her breasts are yours alone, son, never to be seen by another man. They're special for your eyes only, soft, for your hands alone, son. God made those breasts specifically and especially for you, son. Enjoy the symmetry of her body. Fill your eyes with the beauty of her nakedness. Never be ashamed, son. She's your gift from God. Be totally intoxicated, aroused, and inflamed, and burned with passion as a staggering drunkard with love. Her love. Never, son, to awake and suffer sexual hangover or regret and say to yourself I have wasted the best years of my life. The strength of my sexual youth, the best years of my sexual fulfillment and gratification was wasted on nothing. Spewing out in the streets there's nothing sweet at all. There's nothing to show for it. That's what Sex is supposed to produce fruit. If not children, a deep, abiding, forever love between a husband and a wife. With no regret, no sorrow, no shame, no consequences, no fear. Pure. That's the clear implication of the text intentionally painted with these metaphors that capture the imagination. Let me move on to some words of application. First I want to first and foremost I want to share what the Apostle Paul says. What a wretched man I am. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. I don't know about you but I grew up in Corinth. 
I'm a sinful man. I've sinned against God long before I got married. All of us, if not most of us, have been tainted with sexual sin. The most important unseen New Testament application to this teaching is this. Let me say this again. The most important unseen New Testament application to this teaching tonight is this. That Christ has restored our spiritual virginity. That's number one. That's number one. Don't ever miss that. That's more important than our physical virginity. Is our spiritual virginity. That is salvation. That's what it means to be born again. That's what it means to be a child of God. Accepted. That's what Paul says, though you were fornicators and sodomites and homosexuals, you were justified. You were washed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of the living God. You are now temples of the Holy Spirit. The New Testament shows the work of God amongst the sexually immoral, clear and precise and liberating. You think of the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. A woman thrown naked at the feet of Jesus Christ. And they want to know. The law, Moses says in the law that we're to stone such a woman. What do you say, teacher? And of course he says, you who are without sin cast the first stone. And then with the most tender, compassionate heart, the good shepherd looks at this naked woman with all her shame. And says, woman, your sins are forgiven. Go sin no more. That's the New Testament. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Spiritual virginity restored to the sinner. What a great God we have. You see, let me, let me explain something to you. Let me, let me preach. Can I preach? The world has nothing to do with the shame. So the world, instead of being shameful, just turned into hedonism. They removed the strain, removed the boundary, removed the restraint. Just go for it. Go for it. But the Bible gives it symmetry, gives it boundaries, gives it responsibility, gives it power. Sex is beautiful. And if you're a Christian man or Christian woman, please understand something. Utilize it. Enjoy it and praise God for it. The world can't look at the adulteress and restore her with a couple of words. Only Christ can. Only Christ can. They flocked to Jesus. They flocked to him. With a couple of words, he would cast out a demon. With a couple of words that your sins are forgiven, go sin no more, a brand new life started. Where can the world go but to Jesus Christ? They've got nowhere to go. They've got to write a prescription. They've got to say it's okay. They've got to say, they've got to rewrite legislation. They've got to take morality out of the school. They've got to take morality out of the conscience of society. Because they don't have an answer. But we do. Your sins are forgiven. Go sin no more. Your spiritual virginity is been restored as though you have never sinned. Two, 
for those who are still sexually pure. Understand something. He gives great understanding about boundaries for sexual desires and the joy of sexual fulfillment. It's okay to have sexual desires. It's, it's a beautiful thing. We don't allow desire to turn to lust. Lust is desire without boundaries. Lust is desire without knowledge. Lust is desire that is based on self and not to the glory of God. That's lust. Sexual feelings are normal. They're healthy. Very healthy. A lot more can be said in every application, but of course I can't go into it all. How about those who are saved, but you're not married? That's a past that concerns me. But the Bible's not silent on it. These things I have to talk to you about those who are generally saved, uh, but you're not married. You know, and you're like, well, where do I fit into this equation? Well, first of all, your spiritual virginity is restored. If you never went further than that, you're rich. Very rich. But still, we want the companionship. We want the fellowship. I want to hold someone's hand. I want someone in my life. I want to, I want to tell somebody I love them. I want someone to tell me they love me. As a pastor, that, that concerns me deeply. It really does. Very much. I pray often for the single people in this congregation. Often I pray. With tears in my eyes many times. But let me say three things about it again. Many times the time of healing is needed after a life of uh, sexual promiscuity. Sexual promiscuity doesn't mean that you've had illicit sexual affairs all your life. It could be maybe one, maybe two, maybe three. But there could be a time of healing. The Bible says the way God found you and saved you, remain as you are. Remain as you are. If you don't have the gift of celibacy, if you burn with passion, then marry within the faith. The Bible gives. God's kind. But God can be waiting a long time in someone's personal life because God wants to do a deeper work in someone's heart. Reevaluating, and again, this is for those who are saved but not married. Reevaluating your understanding of sex and reevaluating your understanding what marriage is all about. That takes some time. I've seen people get saved and I'm just so lonely, I need somebody. I've seen people with brands all over the place, different churches everywhere. You know, it's just, you know, you throw enough fly paper out, you got to catch something. But God's saying, no, I, I, I want to teach you about marriage before you get married. I want to teach you about proper sexual relations before you get married. I want to do a work in your heart Maybe there's some healing that needs to be done after many years of many different sexual relationships. God wants to heal us and really make you feel clean on the inside. Reevaluating your understanding of marriage, of sex, of life, of salvation, and your relationship with Christ. And this is why. Are you on a new course with God? Saved and not married. Here's a question I'll ask you. Are you on a new course of a life with God? Or do you want God just to fix some broken parts of the old life? That's painful. 
but it has to be asked. I'll ask it again. Are you on a new course in your relationship and your life with God? Or do you want God just to fix some broken parts of the old life? I can't answer that question. I can ask it. Hopefully tonight we saw the beauty of sexual intimacy. We saw the beauty of what Christ has done for us in restoring spiritual virginity back to God. And to see how beautiful sex is, is that it's worth waiting for. It's worth not being married a decade. It's worth not being married in two decades. If the man or the woman isn't from God. And it's so powerful that even if you were married at a young age and your husband died, and like Anna the prophetess, she worshipped God in the temple night and day and stayed celibate in the worship of God. That's how powerful true sexual relationship is when it's properly understood. More, more, more to be said. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I don't know where you are today in your life. I don't know your past, your present. I don't know your hopes and dreams. But God does. God does. He really, really does. He loves you. He really loves you. He wants to wash you and cleanse you from the inside out. He wants you to know what spiritual virginity is. He wants you to know what it means to have affections, not for men or affections for women, but affections for him. He restores affection to himself. You can have that today, right now. By faith, ask the Lord to come in and forgive. Ask him to be Lord and Savior of your life. If you think there are deeper scars in your life, please see me or Pastor John and we'll set up an appointment with you and we can sit down and, and counsel at length if you think you're scarred in this area. Please don't. Or if you're confused and you're, you're saved and, and you want to get married and you don't know, please sit down and speak to us. Counseling is necessary many times in this area. But also leave here today rejoicing that there is a proper way for sexual intimacy that God has designed.